Okay, well, I am glad to see you all tonight. Uh, I guess my question for you as we start our study tonight is, uh, are you on God's page? Are you on God's page tonight? Uh, What do you suppose I mean by that? It'll become evident, self-evident in the study tonight, but... Well, that's good. That's good. Amen to that. I know you well. You are indeed. Well, let's, uh, let's pray and we'll get into our study here in Ephesians uh, chapter 4 tonight. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12, Christ's gifting of the church. Lord, again, we do thank you for the privilege to assemble in Jesus' name. Thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, Lord, what a wonderful reality uh, that you are creating, uh, this family of God called the Church of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless our study as we consider uh, really what you're doing in the world, which is building this forever family called the church. And, uh, Lord, you have gifted the church for the building up of itself in love. So, Lord, as we consider this, what you're doing, pray that you would bless our study. Use it for your glory. Bring Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> okay. Well, we have noted that the, <coughs> the uh, theme of Ephesians is the universal church. And he starts out in chapter 1 by emphasizing this, uh, this grand scheme of things, this grand plan of salvation. And then he prays for enlightenment. It really kind of sets the tone for the entire book. Uh, chapters 2 and 3 emphasize this unity that we have as believers in Christ. We're, we're one new man, and uh, we are, there is this spiritual union that we have in Christ. Uh, again and again, he says, in Christ, in Christ. Of course, those outside of Christ are separated from Christ. Uh, they're, they're dead. They don't have union with Christ. They have no spiritual life or, or union with Christ. Uh, chapter 4. Practical unity is emphasized in keeping with our spiritual position. And uh, that brings us to our first slide here. (coughs) Got a frog for some reason here. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 1. We know this last week, walk worthy of this unity. Uh, Verse 3, endeavor to keep the unity. Um, We don't make it, but we are to keep it. And then uh, 4 through 6, the reality of the unity. We saw seven spiritual unities. Uh, that are all positionally true related to us as believers. Now we start in this section. We're not going to get through the whole thing tonight, but 7 through 16, the place of spiritual gifts in the enhancing of practical unity. And so that's uh, what we will look at tonight. Now the universal church uh, that we are studying in Ephesians, uh, we talk about the universal church, and that is certainly true. Uh, the church from the time of the, uh, the day of Pentecost until the rapture. But where does the outworking of the church happen? Well, the application of universal church truth is really applied to the local church. It's really only in the uh, local church that we have the the physical representation of of the church in the world. Um, It's kind of the uh, universal church in microcosm. Uh, That's what the, the local church is. Okay, well, let's pick it up with that introduction. And somebody want to read for us uh, to start with here tonight, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. Who wants to read that? Yeah, Albert? Mm-hmm. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay, so uh, are you gifted tonight? Yes, you are. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are gifted. You're all part of the gifted class here. But notice he says, but. But's a contrast word. Now, what has he just emphasized? Well, he has emphasized seven unities, seven spiritual unities that relate to everybody. All of us share in these, in these uh, seven unities. 
uh, as we noted, one body, one spirit, called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all is above all and through all and in you all. So these seven years, but there's also diversity. And that's why the word but is in here. There's uniformity in the sense we all share in these seven spiritual uh, unities. But there's also diversity of giftedness. Uh, Unity and yet diversity. Unity and yet uniqueness. And to each one of us, grace was given. He's talking about spiritual gifts now. Uh, So when he's talking about grace, he's talking about uh, grace related to spiritual gifts. To each one of us, grace was given. Uh, No exceptions. Uh, Each one of you have been given grace in relationship to a spiritual gift. Uh, All have a role to play here as ordained by God. To each one of us, grace was given. Of course, grace is unmerited favor. Uh, this gifting related to spiritual gifts, this enablement that comes from God to uh, help us to serve him. And notice the gifts are really in the context here in relationship to the body of Christ. And that will be fleshed out as we continue on in our study. Um, And it's interesting. uh, Notice to each one of us, grace was given. Uh, In fact, grace is something that can only be given. I mean, it can be received. Receive not the grace of God in vain. But grace relates, uh, the very word grace means unmerited favor and and relates to the idea of a gift, uh, which is is given. And that perhaps explains, you know, how we started out in verse 2 with all lowliness, uh, humbleness, with humbleness. Uh, Walk worthy of your calling. Walk humbly. Uh, if, If God has gifted you as it pleased him, Uh, why should we ever brag about it? I mean, we've just received the gift. It's not our doing. So notice to each one of us, grace was given. I want you to know that, child of God, tonight, you are gifted. To each one of you, grace has been given. And how so? Well, according to the measure of Christ's gift. The degree of our giftedness is according to to what Christ has given us. Uh, He decides these things. Uh, You don't decide, well, you know, I I think I'm going to be uh, an apostle. That's a good idea. I'm I'm going to be an apostle. Uh, I'm going to kind of self-appoint myself and get a following. I like that role. It's a very important one. No, uh, you don't choose what your giftedness is going to be. Of course, that's very uh, you know, small group, right? We'll get into this, 12, 12 apostles, 12 foundations in the New Jerusalem, 12 apostles on, uh, the, on those foundations, uh, the names of the 12 apostles of the, of the Lamb. So it is uh, God's prerogative, it's Christ's prerogative in terms of what gift we have, what giftedness we have, uh, to what extent we have it, and, and so forth. Um, notice, uh, as far as spiritual gifts, just a, a couple of things here. There's a difference between spiritual gifts and natural abilities. Uh, You're born with natural abilities, right? Are you born with a spiritual gift? Well, not the first time, right? Second birth, when you're born again, then you you receive spiritual life and you receive spiritual giftedness at that time. Uh, not that God can't work it in harmony with the, the natural abilities he's given, perhaps. But uh, it, there's a distinction between spiritual giftedness and natural abilities. 
And uh, we receive a, a spiritual gift, as I say, at the time of salvation. Now, uh, there's really three places in the New Testament w- which deal with spiritual gifts uh, that are talked about here, according to the measure of Christ's gift. We have uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. We have 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 8 through 10, and verse 28. And 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. Those are the, the three key texts in the New Testament. Now, it's referenced here, but it doesn't really tell us what the gifts are here. Now, it's interesting. Uh, you have those three uh, lists. First Peter is very short, breaks it down into speaking and serving gifts, just general categories. But the other two, in Romans and, and 1 Corinthians, we have a, a listing of gifts. Um, we have gifted persons that are listed a little later here in the chapter, as we see in our study tonight in verse 11. But as far as specific uh, spiritual gifts, it's really those two main places, uh, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Now, it's interesting, those two lists are not exactly alike. We don't think they're comprehensive. We think they are uh, representative. And I don't think uh, any two people are gifted exactly alike. It's kind of like fingerprints. Uh, you know, your fingerprints a little different than mine, right? And so forth. No two fingerprints are exactly like, and I think it's that way with God's giftedness as far as people. You know, we have a Billy Graham in the history of church age. Is there another one? There's other similar evangelists, but not nobody exactly like him. You know, there's other pastors other than me, but thankfully there's nobody else exactly like me, Right? So And so it is. Uh, now the question is this. Uh, how do we know what our giftedness is, do you suppose? Uh, you know, God has given us everything we need to know pertaining to life and godliness, including, you know, everything we need to know about serving him. So where do we look to find, uh, you know, what our spiritual gifts are, right? You go down to your local Christian bookstore and you buy a book on that, right? That, that's where you find out. No, not so much. How do we find out our spiritual giftedness, do you suppose? Ah, there you go. I would see the emphasis in the New Testament is to plug in to body life. And it's in the context of body life that your, quote unquote, knack, your spiritual giftedness will come to the fore as you serve in the context of the body. That's where God wants you to be serving. And it will come out as you are involved, I'm confident, in body life. That's what I see the pattern being in the New Testament. Really, there's no verse that says, you know, try to figure it out and search and study and diligently, you know, work at figuring out what your spiritual giftedness is. It just says to use it. Be good stewards of the manifold grace of God, as Peter says. Be involved. Be serving. Okay. Uh, any other thoughts as we uh, wrap up verse? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, because they don't realize or understand that the gifts are given to edify the body, the local body. Absolutely. And so you can't go out on your own and say, well, I have the gift of, of teaching, but I don't want anything to do with church. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, that is a non sequitur. It doesn't follow. You're right. Absolutely. I think about that in terms of uh, what my calling is. I think about that on Saturday nights. You know, when I was young, I used to like to stay up till one o'clock on Saturday night. It's really not the best for the body for me to do that. If I'm to be at my best, I need a good night's rest. I need to go to sleep early. So I need to think about more than me and myself and I, as far as, you know, saying, hey, we're going to 
we're going to have, uh, you know, stay up late tonight and visit about nothing until one o'clock. Anyway. All right. Anything else? Okay. Let's have somebody read verse eight. Verse eight. Who wants to read that? Chapter four, verse eight. John? Okay, he's building on this idea that to each one of us, grace is given. And he's talking about uh, the grace of, of spiritual gifts. And then he says in verse 8, therefore he says, this is a, now a free running quote from Psalm sixty-six eighteen, And what we have there in Psalm sixty-six eighteen is the analogy of a king returning from a great victory over the enemy, returning triumphantly. And uh, he's returning home with the spoils. Uh, you know, the spoils belong to the victor, right? Yeah, that's who, that's who gets them, uh, the, the victor. And that's the picture here, that Christ has triumphed over the forces of evil. And now he's got the gifts to give. He's got the spoils to give. That, that's the picture here. And this is in relationship to certainly his cross, but that's followed by the resurrection and his ascension. And that's why it says, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, again, this is Christ's ascension on his return back to heaven. And of course, uh, Christ said it was necessary for him to go uh, in order for what to happen. Well, what's that? Yeah, uh, for, for him to pour out the Holy Spirit, to send the Holy Spirit. And of course, with the Holy Spirit comes spiritual giftedness. Spiritual giftedness and the Holy Spirit, they go together. But it was necessary for him to go back uh, to heaven in order for that to happen. Well, when he ascended on high, that refers to his return to heaven, he led captivity captive. Uh, that's an interesting phrase. Uh, it's the idea of kind of a role reversal in the sense that uh, those who had been holding captive are now themselves taken captive. That's the idea. He led captivity captive. He conquered these forces of evil, uh, the forces of darkness. And in that sense, he led captivity captive. In, and, and the idea here is of a, a triumphant procession. It's, the, it's that feel. When the king would return from, from battle, he would come home in, a, in an elegant, uh, triumphal procession. And uh, he would have the spoils and he would have the slaves all behind him. Uh, you know, it, it, it was a, quite an affair. And that seems to be the picture here. His return to glory uh, in triumph and in that context, distributing spiritual gifts. And it says, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Okay, any other thoughts before we continue here? I just have to throw this in there. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. You look at the United States, they win wars and they don't win. They leave everything behind, but we're such a bad country. Anyhow, you make it. Let's try to keep spiritual application here. All right. Anything uh, else? Let's have uh, somebody read verses 9 and 10. Somebody want to read? Yeah, I need it. Okay, well, now he backs up a little bit here. 
You know, he already gone on to the ascension. Now, now he's going to back up and say, well, hold on, folks. Let's talk about the descension first, then the ascension, because it's in that order that it took place. And so he backs up to give us a, a little better picture uh, of, of the big picture, if you will. Kind of embellishes uh, the triumphal scene. Well, before the ascension, you have the descension. And again, the, the context here is Christ's victory followed by the distribution of spiritual gifts. And he says here, now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? Now, this is uh, interesting. Uh this timing seems to be, you know, certainly in, in close proximity to the, the cross and his death and his resurrection. That's what we're talking about here. But uh, in that context, uh, it, it seems that Christ went and proclaimed his victory in the spirit realm uh, over these spirit beings. And so uh, we have a number of references uh, that uh, would be cross-references here. For example, Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers. It's a phrase Paul consistently uses of the, uh, the forces of evil, uh, evil angels and powers of darkness. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them. I mean, he embarrassed them, triumphing over them in it. So, I mean, this is, a, this is what I'm talking. This, this triumphal procession is taking place. And we don't know what exactly all that means, you know, from our vantage point here. But I think also First um, uh, Peter deals with this. First Peter 3, 19, 20, in which I think he's talking about uh, in the realm of the spirit, in the context here, in which in the realm of the spirit, he went and proclaimed to the spirits, I take it to be fallen angels, in prison, uh, some of the angels are in a special holding place, and I'll talk about that in a moment. And it seems that he, uh, <clears throat> he uh, made a kind of a visit there. He went and he proclaimed to these spirits in prison because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were being brought safely through water. So he's talking about a, a, a specific incidence of disobedience, I think, where these fallen angels were especially uh, egregious in, in, their, in the sin that they were involved in. Well, uh, what are we talking about there? Um, note my commentary here. Evidently, prior to the time of the flood, some of the fallen angels sinned in an especially egregious manner. I think that's what we got going in Genesis chapter 6. And we could spend the rest of our time talking about what was involved there exactly. <clears throat> but I think they really crossed some lines there. That was like, wow, uh, even God allows evil angels to go so far, but they kind of went farther than they should have went. And uh, therefore, at the time of the flood, were confined to a special holding place <clears throat> called in the Greek Tartarus. It would seem that uh, it is these spirits that are in view here uh, in prison in First Peter three nineteen and 20. So note, uh, 2 Peter 2, 4 specifically references this place. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but threw them down into Tartarus, uh, which is kind of like, uh, you know, usually we think about Hades, uh, the realm, uh, the realm of departed spirits, uh, the underworld. But Tartarus is kind of a part of that complex. It would seem a special holding place and delivered them to be kept in chains of darkness until judgment. So uh, <clears throat> note uh, that reference there. 
And uh, then uh, this here, Jude 6, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, their proper position, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains uh, under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So it seems like these fallen angels, uh, they were put in their place in a special way at that time. Okay, uh, but here we have Christ uh, triumphing over them in it, in his, uh, uh, his dissension first before his ascension. And uh, verse 10 continues there. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens. Went down to the lowest parts. And then he also went up to the, the highest parts. Uh, far above all the heavens. And the picture here is again one of exultant triumph. Uh, one of uh, being exalted to the highest position of all. Uh, and we know that is Christ's position. Here in Philippians, uh, talks of, you know, the previous verses talk about uh, the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So as God, you know, the Son of God, as the part of the triune Godhead, Jesus was always in this position. But now as, as the God-man, He's been exalted. As a man, he died on the cross, the previous verses. Now as the, as the man, the God-man, he's been exalted to this highest of all positions in the universe. Notice uh, also the one who ascended far above all the heavens. Uh, this is the idea of, of sovereign over all. Uh, he is over the entire universe at this point. Uh, there's no area where his sovereignty and his power uh, do not reign supreme. Uh, so he, he rules over all. To what end? Well, that he might fit, uh, that he might fill all things, which is a way of saying that his his sovereign control is total and complete, total and complete dominance, uh, undisputed champion of the universe. That's who Christ is at this point. Okay, any other thoughts there? Non-political ones. Okay. Okay, let's uh, let's press on. Somebody want to read verse eleven? Verse eleven. Yeah, Marilyn. And gave okay, let's stop there. This is a rich verse, and what he's talking about. Uh, you know, we started out verse seven. He says there, but to each one of us, grace was given. Talking about spiritual gifts, how, how each one of us have been gifted. But now he uh, zeroes in, again, he kind of dials it back, and he's thinking about special gifted people that God has given to the church. And it says here, uh, by the way, verses 11 through 16, again, are, are one long sentence. There's eight long sentences in the book of Ephesians, and this is uh, the seventh of, of the eight. Um, it says, and he himself gave. Speaking of, of Jesus Christ, uh, it's emphatic that he himself has done it. No one else did it. And, and the emphasis is on people, especially gifted people that he has given, personally given to the church. He's building the church, as he says in, in uh, Matthew 16, and he gives gifted men to the church. Notice who he gave. He gave some to be apostles. 
Again, the apostles are in a very special category. Uh, they were specifically chosen by Jesus Christ to be his authoritative representatives. Uh, they had seen the risen Christ. Uh, they had special miracles, the miracles of an apostle, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So these were very unique individuals. And what was unique about them, as we saw back in chapter 2 and chapter 3, is that they gave us the revelatory foundation. They are the foundation on which the church is built. They gave us that, that revelatory foundation that we call the New Testament. And so he gave some to be apostles, uh, some prophets, some evangelists, and some uh, pastors and teachers. Now, the prophets were the contemporaries of the apostles, and uh, they too had a unique role in relationship to uh, new revelation, uh, as we saw in uh, chapter 2 and, and chapter 3 in particular there. Um, the difference kind of between the apostles and prophets, of course, the, the prophets, I say, were the contemporaries. It really, all New Testament revelation was channeled uh, in conjunction with uh, apostles. These were the close associates of the apostles. But it seems that the apostles had a universal church ministry, more, more so, uh, where the prophets served in local churches. We don't see prophets going about and just you know, having a universal ministry. They were kind of in local churches, and so they were uh, the, the kind of the associates of the apostles in that sense, serving in the, the local churches. And they served, as I say, along with the apostles prior to the completion of New Testament, uh, the New Testament truth being uh, completed and given out. So he gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists. Evangelists are soul winners. Uh, they are specially gifted people in relationship to winning people uh, to the Lord. Uh, I like to call these people church planters. They are the ones who go out and, and they are the cutting edge as far as winning people to the Lord. Uh, they are gifted in that way in, in particular. Now, not all are gifted with the, the gift of evangelism, for sure. But all of us are to be doing the work of an evangelist. And uh, so, But these are specific special people. And uh, one of the things that we see that these that are listed here, these gifted people that God has given to the church, what they do is they equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So evangelists aren't just out there doing it, doing it, doing it. They're training others to do it too. Uh, so that's part of their, their calling. And then he says, and some pastors and teachers. Now the question here is, is this two, uh, two separate categories, pastors and teachers? Or should it be understood as pastor slash teacher. One uh, role here, pastor teacher. Well, I tend to think uh, it is pastor teacher, uh, one. And uh, I will concede that, uh, you know, teachers are listed separately as a separate gift in uh, Romans and also 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But here uh, we have the one definite article that controls both pastor teacher. So I tend to think we're talking a, a function that uh, is pastor uh, slash teacher here, one role. And uh, these are gifted individuals that are, that are given to the church. Now, uh, <clears throat> each uh, gifted person has a special role in the communication of God's truth here. Apostles, certainly, special role in communicating God's truth. Uh, uh, prophets, same thing. Evangelists. And pastor teachers, uh, so there's there's a there's an emphasis on uh, communicating the word of God here. Uh, 
Uh, note uh, <clears throat> apostles <clears throat> communicated the foundational New Testament truth in relation to the whole church, as I emphasized. Prophets communicated New Testament truth in the context of local churches. Uh, evangelists communicate the gospel in a very effective way and train others. Uh, Pastor-teacher in combination emphasizes shepherding, uh, but with special emphasis on a, on a teaching ministry. So it's that combination. So uh, it builds here, as we will note as we go along here. But the idea of a pastor is, what, what is the idea of a pastor? Uh, that, that, that word pastor means what? Shepherd. shepherd. Yeah, it's the idea of a shepherd. So uh, this person has a, a, a gift in terms of shepherding people. Now there's a distinction between uh, a pastor-teacher and the office of elder. Uh, certainly all the elders are responsible for shepherding uh, the flock, as we see in Acts chapter 20. But I think there's a distinction here. Uh, what we have listed here are specific people uh, that God has given to the church. And uh, not all elders are gifted pastor teachers, uh, gifted men, as we have uh, stated here. Uh, so there's, there's a distinction there although all have the responsibility to, to uh, be in the shepherding uh, responsibility. Ephesians 4.11 is saying that God has given to the church certain men who are uniquely gifted pastor teachers. They have a unique combination of shepherding and teaching giftedness. In the local church, these men are the key leaders. They too are elders, but they serve first among equals, among the elders, and provide a key leadership role in keeping with their giftedness. It's for the thought that normally these will be those who engage in full-time ministry service with the dual emphasis of shepherding and teaching. Uh, note the references there. By the way, in Revelation, where it talks about the seven angels, literally seven messengers to the seven churches, I would take those to be pastor teachers, the key leaders uh, among the elders in the church there. Um, let's see, what else do I got here? Oh, just several slides, that's all. In Ephesians 4.11, Paul does not list the grace gifts relative to all God's people, as we might expect, but rather he makes special mention of some which are spoken of as gifts to the church. After the each one of us, in verse 7, we might have expected him to speak to all the members of the body, but instead he mentions only those in key leadership positions. Specifically, we have four gifted people groups singled out for special mention. Now, why do you suppose that is? How so? Oh, all of these things. Well, <laughs> yes, that's true. But I'm thinking of something else here. These four are, are prominent and key in the life of the church. The reason being because of their ministry of the word. Everything builds on the word in terms of the building of the church. That is why these four categories of gifted people are so important and are singled out for special mention. The growth and maturity of the church develops out of these specialized word ministries. Remember, I emphasized that each one of these have a, a word-focused ministry, starting with the apostolic uh, foundational uh, ministry relation, in relationship to new revelation, also the prophets, and then the, the church planters, and then who builds on the, all these people that are good at planting churches. Sometimes us pastor teachers have a problem with evangelists because they're not always, you know, we'd like to be a little deeper on certain things. 
And it's true. They kind of, you know, their, their goal is to win people. They're not always so concerned about doctrine. Us pastor teachers say, no, we need to be concerned about doctrine. I mean, that's what we do is we want to see maturity come to the church through the in-depth teaching of the word. That's what pastor teachers do. So uh, we have the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The church builds on their foundational ministries, right? That's what we're doing, right? We trace what we believe back to who? The apostles. I mean, that's what we do. We're teaching the apostles doctrine all the time. That's what, that's what we're teaching. So that's the foundation as they gave us New Testament truth. Uh, the church builds on their foundational ministries. Uh, the evangelists take the gospel to the lost and people get saved, but then they need to grow. And this is where the gift of pastor teacher comes in. Of the highest priority is the ministry of the word in a local church. If the position of pastor teacher is weak, the church will suffer greatly and not mature as God intends. This is why there is such an emphasis on this word-based ministry in the New Testament. The ministry of pastor teacher is critical because this key position in the church sets a tone for the entire church in terms of shepherding and teaching. I, I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, you know, I think the church is always one link away from, from going liberal, from, from getting off track. You get the wrong pastor in there, can take the church down a road, uh, and, and this is no slam on anybody, but we are all sheep. And uh, being in that position, as far as teaching, shaping the minds of the people and what they think and, and how you lead uh, is, a, is a critical, critical thing. So what did he do? He gave some to be apostles, yes, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Uh, one more, well, any thoughts before we finish out here? We've got one more verse. Any other thoughts there on verse 11? Yes, Joy? Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if the prophets here, that's just New Testament, so Isaiah and Jeremiah don't count here? They don't count here. I mean, I mean, that's already been established. What we're talking about now is what happened after Christ ascended into heaven and the gifts that he has given to the church. So, yeah, this is church truth here. These are, uh, and these are the associates, they're connected to the apostles. So, yeah, this is New Testament prophets, not, not Old Testament. Yep, good question. Would that cease when the canon was complete? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I do not believe that we have any uh, real, <laughs> there's false prophets today. I don't think there's any legitimate prophets on the scene. I think that all concluded with the, with the completion of the canon, the New Testament scriptures, right? All right. Anything else? Okay, let's finish out. Somebody want to read verse uh, 12 for us? Yeah, okay. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay. So, he has given gifted men that have a word-based ministry emphasis to what end mine says equipping yours says uh, perfecting yeah. mine says equipping well i like perfecting though that is the, that is the sense here uh, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of christ here is the aim of the prominent word-based ministries that he has just mentioned in verse 11 here's the goal and uh, it is to, uh, to equip the saints, to equip the saints. Um, that's the whole idea, to build up the body here. Uh, the saints are who? Who are the saints? <clears throat> they are the special elite in every congregation. Oh, no, that's wrong. That's, that's not true. Who are the saints? 
All believers, right? Every believer is a saint. Saint means set apart. In Christ, we are set apart. We're set apart by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. We're set apart. So uh, for the equipping of the saints, what do we want the saints to do? What's the goal here? They're, they're building up. They're perfecting the saints. They're equipping the saints to what end? <clears throat> to do the work. The work of the ministry. That's right. To do the work of the ministry. Right. I am the minister of the church. Right. Talk about a, a really large error. Uh, I am one of the ministers. How many ministers do we have in the church? That's right. <laughs> as many believers as are a part of the church, are, they are all ministers. I mean, I have a role, and it's a very public role, and you know, all of that. But all of us are in this. That's, what, that's the whole idea here. Uh, for the equipping of the saints, uh, for the work of the ministry. Um, boy, if we're going to limit uh, the minister to one person, we really are going to stymie what God wants to do uh, through his church. Pastor, yes, uh, sir. This, this word equip, uh, and, and what she read was perfected, doesn't mean mature, bring to maturity. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's the idea of perfecting, bringing to maturity, building up. Yeah, that, that idea. Yep, Absolutely. Okay, uh, yeah, actually this word equipping was used uh, in different contexts. It was used in relationship to mending nets, uh, to uh, uh, fixing or uh, placing a, a broken bone. Uh, it was used in restoring a, a brother who has fallen in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. So uh, it's, it's that idea of, of fixing, uh, aiding to uh, build up, to strengthen uh, that idea. Well, the right tool is the gifted men that God has given to the church, right? And uh, their ministry of the word, I think, is what does that. That's 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 how it happens. And so, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you want the church to go backwards? Just teach bad doctrine. Absolutely, for sure. For the equipping of the saints, uh, for the work of the ministry. Uh, the idea of ministry is service. Again, we're all to be involved in, in serving. And uh, let's see here. The ministry of the word of God is key in preparing people to do the work of the ministry. Just what we've been talking about. People need to be taught. Uh, they need the word-based instruction. Of course, this assumes that people are teachable. We really like that word, Teachable. Have you ever tried to teach people that are not teachable? I've tried to do that a time or two. You know what happens in that situation? They always, and I mean always, leave the church. Always. Uh, I can't teach them. Uh, there's, and, and I understand. I mean, if you get to that point where you're not listening, not teachable. Of course, this assumes people are teachable, which is all important in, in equipping people. Uh, the Word is able to fully equip us for every good work that God wants us to do. Thus, as evangelists uh, teach evangelism, as pastor teachers teach in depth from God, the Word of God, then God's people are equipped to do the work that He has for them to do. So that's, that's the idea. The Word of God is key in this equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. And what's, uh, what's the end goal here? 
Well, this is what I was talking about. Are you on God's page? It's for the edifying of the body of Christ. The idea of edification is the building up, the strengthening, as we've talked about. And uh, to be on God's page is to be here. What's God doing in the world today? He's building a forever family of believers called the Church of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing in the world. I mean, people got all kinds of interests and pursuits, but that's what God's doing. He's building this forever family. And we all have a role in the edification of the body of Christ, the building of the, of the body of Christ up. And so note a couple of slides here. All are gifted to serve, as we have noted. All are gifted to serve the body. You say, well, I'm going to serve out here. I'm just going to kind of go out here and be my a lone ranger Christian and, and serve the world. Well, okay. Maybe you want to do that in conjunction with uh, the family, uh, not just uh, in isolation. It's one of the kind of concerns I have about, you know, parachurch, which is I'm kind of doing my own thing. I'm called to do my own independent thing out here. Well, I see the emphasis in relationship to the body, uh, gifted to serve the body. The goal in gift use is not just to serve, but to serve to the end that the body is built up. Um, is it really furthering the church? And where do we see the universal church represented? You say, well, I'm serving the universal church. People want to say this. You know, well, I'm on the, on the mission field. I, I don't have to follow what the Bible says about local church emphasis. For example, like you know, women can't be pastors or elders. But out here, it's a little different. You know, we can be a little looser because, you know, we're not really in a local church kind of eh, I get queasy with that. Uh, the whole idea is that the body is built up. We're, it's, it's what God is doing. Most people claim to want to serve God. However, there's a, a very simple test to see who is really on God's page. The test is the level of involvement in body life. What's our commitment to this? How committed am I to the body of Christ? To seeing the body excel, to seeing the body built up. That's where I need to be. That's when I'm on God's page because that's what God's doing. And then finally, this must be my last one, huh? Is it, John? Okay, thank you. Uh, in context, Paul is addressing the whole body, the universal church, which consists of all believers in Christ from the day of Pentecost until the rapture. Yet in terms of practical reality, these processes of body life and growth can only be lived out in relation to the local church. The only place you can functionally see the church at work in the world today is in the local church. In effect, the local church, again, is a microcosm of the universal church. So Paul is thinking on two levels. There is truth that applies to the universal church, but the emphasis in terms of practical application relates to local churches. We see the interweaving of these two emphases throughout the practical section of chapters 4 through 6. Okay, well, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Yes, Kurt. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking, you know, there's been different movements over the years, like seeker-sensitive yep. things. When you think about what is the purpose of the church, if you were to ask the world, you're going to get a lot of different things. It might be to provide for the social needs or for these things. Yep. But really, primarily, it's targeted towards those that believe, mm -hmm. and the people, and we go out. Yeah. Sure. But the primary is that focus of building and edifying one another so that we can do the work of the Lord as we, as we extend out versus the flip side of it. 
Amen, brother. I so agree. And and we have honed our thinking through the years. You know, uh, old style is, you know, we have the unbelievers all come to church and we have, you know, we do evangelism here. We have an altar call here. Okay, not that God can't work in that way. But I really think the main thing that is happening when the church comes together is the building up of the body. Now we leave and go to our mission field. And that's kind of what we're emphasizing in terms of our whole Discipleship 101 ministry. Uh, we are equipping the saints to go out and you're doing this work, right? You're meeting with your family. You're meeting with your coworkers and with your... That, you're doing the work of the ministry in that sense. That's the whole idea. And so when you have kind of an evangelistic message every week and give an altar call every week, you know what happens after, uh, after time, after, after a while? The body tends to get very shallow. All they get is milk all the time. And they just tune it out. They've heard it a million times. Uh, we need to build the body up so we can do the work of the ministry. That's for sure. All right. Any other thoughts? Yes, Tom? So the work of the ministry, does the following, the following uh, partial sentence describe what the ministry is for the, for the edifying of the church Christ? That is the ministry. For sure. The goal is to further the body of Christ, to build it up, to further it and build it up all the time. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, the goal is to, you know, complete the Great Commission. Yeah, the following verse, which you're going to start up next week. Right. Till we all, eventually the whole church, till we all come to the unity of the faith. Right. At the very end, so we, we got to keep bringing them in. It's just the work of For sure. Amen. Yeah, the goal is to reach all of the elect. <laughs> which only God knows who the elect are, and that's his sovereign work. But somehow he uses our human response and responsibility in the process there too. But uh, yeah, till we all come to the unity of the faith. But yeah, you're right. That's next, next time. All right, anything else? Okay, well, let's share some prayer requests. I think we'll uh, share prayer requests tonight and then break up into small groups and, and pray like we have done in... Time's past. We're getting kind of back to normal here. Sunday school starting, et cetera, et cetera.